Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Women's Sports Matter podcast. My name is Gianna Castro, and I am your host. Like I said last week, we're doing another interview because I keep getting so many wonderful people on the show that I just, I, I guess I don't have to talk by myself for 40 minutes alone in my office. Uh, but uh, I have another journalist on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? Wow. I love that you have had guests on because it's a challenging thing to talk by yourself for 40 minutes. So shout out to the guests. I'm so honored that you invited me on. My name's Annie Costable. I cover the sky and the red stars for the Chicago Sun-Times, but cover a wide array of sports topics as well. um, And really, you know, with a focus on women's sports. So the sky and the red stars are my beat. But um, I definitely get off beat quite often. And then I have a podcast of my own called Equal Play. So check that out. Subscribe, like, comment, whatever the, the kids are doing these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe, rate on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, rate, do all rate, those like, things. Follow yeah, rate, on Spotify. Rate, rate the podcast, not like the podcast. That's the correct terminology. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of different uh, podcast terminologies these days that I can't even keep track of. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not super with it. um, And I am honest about that. I think it's important to be honest about your um, trendiness, your ability to keep up with the youngsters. And, you know, I'm just I'm right in the middle ground, I would say. I I don't even know where I fall. I mean, I'm 19, but it's like I I don't even know what's going on. I don't know how to use social media and I tell everyone that comes on here that I have no clue what I'm doing I just sit here I have a microphone I'm wearing headphones I hit record on zoom I post my episodes see what happens guys I'm 30 so I'm (laughs) 11 years older than Gianna that's fucking wild I just had uh the youngest person on my show well besides my sister because we did like a stupid little thing together a while ago but um I had uh, a NASCAR driver on that's 22. Um, awesome. That's something that was posted today. Wow. So I was like, okay, finally someone close to my age. Like that doesn't happen at all. No. Most people are, yeah. Most people become relevant as they get older. So cheers to you being 19 and having your own podcast. That's quite, that's quite an accomplishment. It's just a hobby that started because I was bored during quarantine. A lot of us were. Super bored. I was like, what should I do in my spare time besides playing FIFA? Hmm. <laughs> Let's create a podcast because that's something that I want to do. Just happened. Yeah. Honestly, a lot of people went that route. Um, Equal Play started during the pandemic, and it's honestly one of uh, a project I'm most proud of in my career. So you're starting early, and that's a great thing. Yeah, I hope to keep doing this. Um, I'm starting my sophomore year of college in a few weeks. So, and then doing all of that uh, for the next few years, graduating, seeing what I'm going to do with my degree. Mm-hmm. Scary. Let's talk about school for a bit. You went to University of Iowa, and that is a school that I personally like to talk shit about just because like it, I, it's one of my basic school listings. Um, a lot of people that I went to high school with go to Iowa, go to University of Illinois, Illinois State, you know, like all, all those regular stuff for this area of the country. How did you decide that you wanted to go to Iowa and how did you decide that you wanted to study journalism? Yeah, you know what? I will not disagree with the quote unquote basicness of Iowa. I also don't want that to sound like I'm throwing shade at Iowa at all. I <laughs> absolutely love the University of Iowa. It changed my life for the simple fact that like I found my passion there and got a degree there. Um, but you're right. A lot of suburban uh, white kids go to the University of Iowa, the University of Illinois, Illinois State, um, Iowa State even. It's just, you know, it's like it's the Midwest thing to do. So I actually was going to go to DePaul. I was pretty set on DePaul um, until like that last month where you're like deciding between schools. Um, And I, again, was like committed to going there. I just hadn't sent in my acknowledgement of my acceptance um, to the school. And 
you know, before doing that, I just went to my mom and I was like, let's just go drive to Iowa. Like, let's see what's up. And so she took me, it was me, her and my younger brother Rocco to, to see the school. And we just spent the day there. And I didn't even go on one of those lame campus tours. I just kind of like roamed around with my mom and my brother. And I really fell in love with the athletic environment. Like we drove past Kinnick and it just seemed like that, you know, what college was supposed to look like, what you see college look like in the movies. And at that time in my life, I, I wasn't like an ignorant person by any means, but I was definitely more comfortable going along with like, with, yeah, this image that I, you know, that I got from Iowa. And so, um, you know, I just, I decided that day I was like, I'm going to come here. And, and then I got there and I definitely didn't have like the typical college experience. Like I wasn't much of a partier. I, I didn't, you know, get into like a, a clique or, or friend group. Like I didn't do the sorority thing. Um, and I kind of just, you know, got through my four years, definitely, uh, wasn't going to stay for a fifth year. Um, I remember my, my final semester, I was, I, I was not the best student, I will say. And so my advisor was like, if you like, you have to come, you're going to have to come back for a fifth or a, another semester. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm like, I need to get back to Chicago. Like, like I'm not coming back for a fifth or a fifth year or even half a semester. What do I have to do? And I remember my last semester of college, I was taking like so many credits because I had to take a couple makeup courses uh, just to, yeah, just to graduate on time. So that's in a nutshell, my, my college experience. I will say I loved my professors. I loved the friends that I made at the Daily Iowan. There's some of my friends that I still am in touch with, you know, now, and I'm, I'm really thankful for my experience at Iowa, but, um, it definitely is, uh, yeah, a little step pretty, a little bit of like the typical big 10 college campus, um, and, and everything that that includes. Yeah, I know. I, that, love I don't mean that like a shade. It just, you know, I wasn't like, yeah, college was not the best years of my life. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of people at Iowa, Iowa State, all, all those schools. Um, I actually, my my college thing is super funny because I'm at College of DuPage right now. So uh-huh. I'm going community college route for now. Um, I my senior year of high school, I committed to IU Bloomington. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, wait a minute, $50,000 to go there and I didn't get any scholarships for them? I'm going to go to COD. Freshman year happens. Um, I apply all these schools, get into most of them. I have my heart set on UConn. I go to Connecticut. <laughs> I hate it so much. And I already like, I rejected all my schools by then except for Loyola. Uh-huh. Then I was like, okay, I did that. So I guess I'll go to Loyola. Um, flash forward to two weeks ago. <laughs> I, I take my commitment away from Loyola and I'm going back to COD for another year. So I'm going to graduate there with my associates and then transfer somewhere. I'm thinking about going to look at Iowa and Iowa State, uh, maybe Wisconsin, Madison, um, kind of want to look at like Utah and Arizona state just to see what's out there. Cause I want to leave the Midwest. There's nothing wrong with the Midwest. Well, there is, but I think it's, I don't want to see cornfields. I'm kind of tired of looking at cornfields, you know, <laughs> especially yeah. being in the burbs. You don't see that in, in the city. At least I don't think you do. <laughs> no, no. I mean, the city is like no. an entirely different buildings. world. Just buildings. Yeah, the city is, is nothing like the suburbs. <laughs> no. Nah. I was like, I, I kind of wish I grew up in the city. Maybe I'd be more comfortable with going to a place like Loyola. It just didn't work out, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, the city's not for everybody. And I think a city school is is different from a school like Utah or Arizona State or, you know, UConn or these others that you mentioned. And that when you're on a college campus like that, 
college is everything you get like again it's like brings you to that movie setting kind of and um there is something really special about for better or worse going through that experience it 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 is an experience and everyone's is different and i wouldn't trade mine at iowa for all the money in the world i i went there it was it was very defining but you know everyone's got their own path yeah, it's really hard to pick a school. If anyone listening is younger than me, I don't know why, I, I don't know my audience demographic at all, but, or if you're just like looking for schools, it's super hard. Like I've applied to over 20 schools in the past two years, just because I don't know what I wanted, where I want to go. And I'm still trying to figure it out. Like private schools, public schools, schools in the city, schools in the suburbs, schools that used to be agricultural schools like UConn. I figured out the hard way that I didn't want to go to school somewhere. Like I flew to Boston, then drove to Connecticut to figure out in two minutes. Within two minutes of my tour, I was like, oh my God, I hate it here. I'm not going here. And it was my dream school since I was little because of UConn women's basketball program. That I was like, I want to go to school where these people are success- successful. That's my college story so far. <laughs> It's great. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I think there's a lot of validity and trusting like your instincts and sometimes taking like the pressure out of a big decision like that by simply trusting your instincts. You know, I think part of the challenge of, of making a big decision like that is, is like the weight of all the expectations from everybody else about your decision. And if you just take a step back and realize that it's, it's just college. You know, I think there's this, this idea, first of all, that everyone needs to go to college. That's absolutely not true. And then secondly, that, you know, it'll make or break your life. And the reality is our life changes 30 million times over. It changes every single day. So you could, you could go to like, for me, go to the university of Iowa and you know, get through it. Like it, I'm going to be real. It wasn't the best time of my life. And then some people look at college and are like, oh my God, this was, I had the most incredible experience. It was this, that, and the other. It's like, it, it, if it's great, great. And if it's not, that's fine too. It's, it's all part of your experience. So I think taking some of the pressure off of it can help you realize that whether you go to Utah or you go to Arizona or you go to Loyola right in your backyard, like it's, it is what it is. Yes. Now I hope my family's listening. Cause I want one of my family members who I'm not blood related to, like, if this is someone that married into our family and everything, she was the only one that agreed with me that my decision to leave. So I hope my mom is listening and my uncle and my other uncle, and my entire family, because they do listen to the show. <laughs> I will say my, my biggest like emphasis on college or the, I think the most important aspect about college is leaving your comfort zone. And that's why I'm very glad I went to the university of Iowa because it wasn't this, like, you know, I, I loved it more than anything in the entire world, but it took me out of my like bubble here in Chicago and showed me something different. And Iowa, you know, isn't even that far. So my advice to anybody listening is to, to get uncomfortable because life isn't comfortable. And so if you're, if you're looking for comfort in your college decision or wherever you end up going to college, you're already taking, taking um, life experience away from yourself. Get comfortable being uncomfortable and that's I think for a lot of people starts with leaving home getting away from like the cozy environment you grew up in and exposing yourself to something that's unique and different and new and fresh and that is a great little story about college (laughs) (laughs) yeah I hope my mom is listening to this show so I can say, hey, I'm actually going to go to Canada for school. My best friend goes to school in Canada. Um, he goes to Waterloo. And well, he's also a Canadian citizen. He's American and Canadian. His dad's from Canada. So he got to go to school 
for cheap. Mm-hmm. Lucky him. Anyway, uh, so after you graduated from Iowa, what happened next? Did you work for a local newspaper in Iowa or did you come back to Chicago? No, I actually didn't start working in the newspaper business until I was 26. So I, during my college experience, worked in broadcasting. I wanted to be in broadcasting. Um, It just came kind of natural to me. I felt comfortable, you know, talking on air. I'm quite comfortable talking in general. So I thought, okay, this is the, the avenue of the business that's for me. And so when I graduated, I was applying to a bunch of local, you know, news stations across the country, like everywhere from Alaska to Hawaii, to Texas, to Maine, to literally everywhere and anywhere. I probably sent my tape out to over a hundred news stations and didn't hear back from anybody, like nobody. So I came back to Chicago and I was just looking for a job and I saw that the Chicago Fire were hiring marketing interns. So I applied for a marketing position with them as part of the street team. So we were just going out and basically encouraging people to come to games. And then at games, we were passing out different, um, you know, I don't know, not content, but, you know, game memorabilia, like talking to fans, signing fans up for, for different things um, to, yeah, to just basically create a buzz around the Chicago fire. So while I was at the Chicago fire, my boss, uh, he, he knew my background in broadcasting and he was like, how do you feel about being our on field MC during the halftime show? And I was like, Oh my God, I would love to like, no problem. That sounds great. So while I was doing that, I met someone who was working for the Chicago white Sox, And, uh, as part of their street team, which is the, uh, whatever they called the people that throw out the t-shirts. So, uh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You're yeah, I, I'm blanking on the name, though. Me too. I'm blanking on the name, but uh, so I applied for a job doing that, got that job, spent a summer doing that. And while I was at that job, I met this uh, stats person who worked for the Comcast network, who gave me, you know, a contact for the director at the Comcast network. And then that's how I got into sideline reporting and broadcasting with the Comcast network, where I spent about four or five years. Um, And so while I was there, it just was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of highs and lows. I think anybody who freelances understands that. And so during that time, I was applying to a bunch of what I thought were stable jobs, again, like local reporting jobs across the country. And nothing was clicking. Like no matter where I sent my tape, they, they either didn't get back to me or I was just hearing, no, I I honestly didn't even get many interviews most of the time. And so I remember right before I got my job at, in Mississippi, I, I went on vacation, um, to stay with my aunt who lives in Florida. And while I was there, I was like, this is it. I'm going to apply to all kinds of jobs, not just broadcasting jobs, writing jobs too. And if I don't hear back, then maybe this is like the universe telling me I need to go a different route. And on at the airport before getting on the flight back to Chicago, I got an email from my editor or my, yeah, the editor I worked under at the Clarion Ledger in Mississippi. And so that started my career in newspaper writing. And then from Mississippi, I came back here to work for the Sun-Times. It's quite the journey. Yeah, it was an interesting, interesting, um, I would say, start to my career. Yeah, going all the way to Mississippi. Never been there. It's a great place. I love Mississippi and I love all the people that I met while I was down there. So for the Sun-Times, you're the Sky and Red Stars reporter. is that what you first started doing or did you um, write about other stuff? No, when I was originally hired by the Chicago Sun-Times, I was hired as a multimedia journalist that was sports focused. And so when I got to the Sun-Times, I was going out on a bunch of assignments to take photo and video for the other reporters work. 
and then writing stories on my own. Sometimes my editor would send me on, on assignments that were, were maybe what the beat writer like didn't have time to do. You know, when you're covering a beat, you're very focused on, on the day-to-day, which is like game stories, like breaking news, all that kind of stuff. So some of the feature stuff gets like left by the wayside. So my editor would send me different assignments that, that were more fun that like, again, the beat writer didn't have time to do themselves. And so I was writing a lot, doing more feature stories. And then I noticed just a gap in our coverage. And what I noticed was, was that we didn't have any coverage on Tierna Davidson, who the Red Stars had just drafted. She was the number one overall pick in the 20. 18 NWSL draft. And I, I just remember thinking, okay, if we had the number one overall pick in the NBA draft, like it would be front page news. And so I remember just emailing my editor and saying, Hey, like, can I do a feature on Tierna Davidson? She was the number one overall pick. She's incredible. She's like this the future of the U S women's national team. And she's here in Chicago. And so that really started my coverage of the red stars, which literally started with just that one story. And then every week I was like, we need to have a story done on the red stars. And it honestly just exploded from there. And, and now there's like no going back, you know, we would, never go back to not covering the red stars. It just wouldn't happen. We've, you know, we we're doing it and there's just nothing else to it. Taking initiative. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think that's like a huge key for youngsters coming up is when you see a, a gap or a break in coverage or a break in the space that you're trying to break into, take up that space like pitch something new, come up with whatever's missing, um, and, and create your own, create your own niche. Yeah. The whole reason I started this podcast, because I, I realized like women's sports coverage is terrible in terms of mainstream media. So I thought I might as well talk about my own stuff, but, um, anyway, I'm a huge Davidson fan. Um, ever since she was picked for the Red Stars, I was excited. She definitely is the future of the U.S. Women's National Team, and the Olympics truly proved that. I want to get your thoughts on um, what went down in the Olympics, if you were watching any of those uh, 3 a.m. games. <laughs> I think that it's hard for average fans to understand when the U S women's national team loses because average fans know them as this like unstoppable force that only wins gold only wins world cups. Yeah. That the reality is like Sweden is a really good soccer team. Mm -hmm. Like they were outmatched. It was clear, you know, Canada also great soccer team. Like, so my take on them winning bronze and not winning gold is, is I guess more relaxed in that I see them as more human or more, um, you know, capable of error than I think a lot of people give them like credit for, or, or allow them to, or, or see them as, as capable of losing. So to me, watching that team struggle, quote unquote, struggle more than we're used to seeing them struggle, I think just proved that this is a sh- there is a shift going on within that team that there are older players that are transitioning out of the team. And there is a new coach, Blacko, who, you know, has everyone had extremely high expectations for, and and now there's these question marks surrounding the team. And that's not a bad thing. I think what's exciting is that, that the future is still just as bright as it's ever been. 
And that's because of players like Tierna Davidson. It's because of, you know, these young players that are coming up and also, you know, Julie Ertz's of the world and, and the players that are still going to be around for a long time. Crystal Dunn, like there's, there's so many players that, that still have many years to go with this team. And that's exciting too. So I don't know. I look at it more like the future is exciting and not like, oh my God, they didn't win gold. What the fuck is going on? Yeah, I, I, um, I didn't stay up to watch the games when my cousin did because she, uh-huh. I guess, doesn't want to sleep. I don't know. When the games were happening, it was like I was working and I didn't get home until 11 because, you know, baseball takes forever. Yeah. Extra innings and all that glorious stuff where I'd get home at like 11, 30, 12, depending on the, the time that we ended. But anyway... I'd ask her to text me the results. So when I wake up in the morning and be like, I don't have to look through Twitter. I don't have to look through Instagram. I just want to see what my cousin says. And when I woke up when they played, uh, when they played Canada, it was like, shit. That's what I said. It was like, this is, this is okay. And, but they won bronze. Like one thing that people don't understand is winning a medal is a good thing. It's not but, right. But that's yeah. the point is yeah. like, people have such high expectations at average fan. I mean, all fans have such high expectations mm-hmm. for this U S women's national team that winning bronze was a dis, you know, disappointing. Whereas in, in reality, winning a bronze medal at the Olympics is really special. And I think even the players, like even the players, there's this disconnect from like reality because it's like this well-oiled machine. They don't lose. So winning bronze is like, it's, I don't know. It's hard to even explain. I was happy for them. Well, I'm also an Australia fan. I'm like rooting for Australia. So it's kind of like this, this disconnect (laughs) of like, I, I like Sam Kerr and I like the Australian women's national team, but I also like the US women's national team. I was like, I wish that wasn't the mat- matchup that happened, but uh, yeah. And I, really quickly before we move on, um, you've been following the um, Sam Kerr and Christy Mewis thing, right? Where have you seen that tweet where it's like, they're lesbians. They're lesbians, Stacey. Yeah. I do have to just shout out um, my friend Sandra and Claire right now, who also cover the Red Stars. Mm-hmm. I'm not kidding you. Every game, I, I've told them, I'm like, I'm like the biggest fan of, of this this relationship, this like news. And every week we show up to Seek Geek, I'm like, oh my God, you guys, like this happened. They commented this on on each other's photos. Like, I feel like a kid in high school that I'm just like, this is so adorable. Like we're all tracking the Sam Kerr news. But yeah, no, that was a hilarious comment about sportsmanship. And yes, sportsmanship. That was Mm -hmm. like, they're lesbians, Stacey. Yeah, that was like, when I first saw the the pictures of, of them hugging on the field I was like okay I know what's going on here well my take is like even if you don't don't know didn't know like the the tea on Christy and Sam they don't like that doesn't look like sportsmanship they definitely no. look like they're either great friends or like more than that you know so I thought it was interesting the way like mainstream wants to portray like yeah team usa look at sportsmanship examples what right (laughs) or like just relationships like you know gay relationships as like sportsmanship it's like it's okay they're lesbians yeah you know that's okay (laughs) to to like say the this couple you know or rumored couple Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know share a moment on the field after the game yeah. So I thought that was interesting. I just think it was, yeah, mainstream media's way of controlling a, a situation that they had no control over. <laughs> they're lesbian, Stacy. They're up. lesbian, Stacy. I think there are t shirts that are being made. Oh, that is great. That is that is beautiful. Um, yeah, when I, think I, I saw that. Someone, like, where the t shirts are, are the t shirts ready yet or something? So I don't know. Keep your eyes out. There might be t shirts coming. Yeah, when I saw that tweet, I was like, oh, my God. 
this is yeah, great. It, it was definitely funny. And then like a, less than a week later, they posted their first couple pictures. So it's official. Sam and Christy are an item. Mm-hmm. Best couple in, in women's soccer right now. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely a trendy couple. Yes. If we were People News or People Magazine, I think that's what we would be writing. The trendiest couple out right now. Yeah. And Tokyo also um, was the, there was the most out athletes ever. And I think combined with all the Olympics, which was pretty damn cool. Um, and I saw a TikTok of someone scrolling through like out sports has like a whole list and someone was just scrolling through the women's soccer section of it. And they were like making fun of the fact that that had the most um, queer athletes, which love a good joke. Um, TikToks. <laughs> TikTok is something else. TikTok really is something else. And I do think it's great that um, the number of athletes that are out, you know, were on display at Tokyo and during the Olympics because, um, you know, just just for so many reasons, but mainly for for young fans to be able to see, um, you know, honesty on on display like that, just like real life on display like that. Because when I was younger, reality wasn't reality reality was like this controlled image and so it's great to see and not even just in regards of being um you know how someone identifies but but just in every regard we're seeing like a level of honesty from not just athletes but people who are looked at as you know these role models and it just really is important for you know, our next generation of youngsters that are, are going to come up and feel okay to be themselves. In my humble opinion. Yes. Um, always great to see um, such great role models from different countries, um, especially with Quinn being the first um, trans person to ever win an Olympic medal. I think right. they're super cool. Um, huge fan of them. And that's just, it's like the importance of that, that they're, because that's not, and I guess I don't want to speak for them, but that I can't imagine is an easy thing or a comfortable thing to, to put yourself in the position to be the first, you know, there's a lot of, I'm sure anxiety and and nerves and fear that comes with that, but they did it. And now anybody else coming up behind them will be able to stand on their shoulders you know like that's so powerful that's so it's just it's just really important uh so yeah I can't say enough about that yeah they're one of the coolest people in the NWSL in my opinion um speaking of the NWSL let's talk (laughs) about rise (laughs) this this weird partnership that uh that's happening. Yeah, I, I obviously like everybody else was immediately saw fans reaction and even players reaction to the partnership and was, you know, intrigued by, by the backlash. And as a reporter, I quickly knew, okay, this is something you're going to write about, you have to write about this because for, for the number of fans to react the way they did, obviously, you know, that's, that's, that's newsworthy in itself, but then you go into the, the board makeup of this organization that stands on, you know, inclusion and diversity, but their board does not reflect that. Not at all. Yeah. That's a story too. And so, you know, I think Fans seem to be upset about the lack of transparency that's been provided by the NWSL. And I don't think anybody is saying that the NWSL needs to go through the fans to make decisions like this, but there's an issue that fans have and, and players too, in the fact that this partnership was established, but there was no comment or acknowledgement 
of, of the lack of diversity on the board, of the founders' ties to Donald Trump. You know, all of these things that the league claims it does not believe in, but then they're aligning themselves with an organization that is that's makeup is very undiverse and is again tied to its founder is tied to Donald Trump. So, you know, that was something I, I really wanted to understand better and reached out to the league, you know, was, was not given a comment from the league. They said that they, you know, everything they had to say was in the press release, which as we all know, press releases are very like fluffy and, and, Mm -hmm. and say the sweetest things. So there wasn't anything that, you know, of, of substance in the press release. And so I was really thankful that, uh, Rise's CEO, Diane Billings Beerford was open to talking with me on the record. And so Diane is incredible. She's, um, a black woman CEO of Rise's organization. And, you know, we had a very honest conversation about the, the makeup of Rise's board. And she said flat out that they have a diversity issue. And part of that, or her assessment of that is that their board is a reflection of our society as, as a whole. And so while I think that's valid, it's also like you have control who sits on your board. So if you see a diversity issue, how are you changing that? And so they, they did have a vote recently to expand their board and are looking to include more women. Both of the women she mentioned are, were, are white women, Lisa Baird and Kathy Engelbert. Um, so I think that what fans seem to be looking for and what players seem to be looking for is just more honesty and transparency and explanation um, on some of these decisions. And they haven't gotten that. So I think that's where a lot of the discomfort has come from and a lot of the distrust has come from. And I will also say, you know, Rise has done great work in the community with other organizations and other teams. And it sounds like they will do great work with the NWSL, but the issue still stands. Your board has little diversity on it and you cannot hide from that. So um, I think that that's what fans, you know, are confused about. Yeah. When you have an all white board, that's not really a diverse, not, not even close and they aren't an all white board there are you know a few a couple black men and a few men of color in total um but there are no black women on their board there are no women of color on their board and there are only two women on their board so that you know is problematic when you're talking about a women's league and also a women's league that's trying to establish more inclusivity and diversity so yeah the the nwsl this year has been i i I don't want to say problematic i feel like there's a better word for it just with so many different things going on a lot of coaches um i've read a tweet today is like 40 percent of coaches have left their position this this year or this season or something like that something with the number 40 percent with a coach leaving washington spirit today just and then the are you do you know anything about the lights issue with um, the Portland Thorns goalkeeper and the the Louisville Stadium? I'm, I don't know that much about that, but that's a thing that happened recently. The incident in Houston with Sarah Gordon, just so much. Oh, and the terrible refs. That's right. another thing. Right, and that's that's the thing. All of these issues lack transparency. There's no. The league doesn't speak on them. There's no clarification. They just say what they say and then are, are, are done talking about certain issues. And that's a problem for fans and it's a problem for players. So, you know, I think that obviously the NWSL is still very young. There are a lot of things that the NWSL needs to get figured out. There's a lot of things that need to change for the betterment of players and you know, I, I, 
I guess we'll see what changes and how quickly I, I, I have no idea, but um, I, I can say from different, from my experience writing this story and speaking to different sources in the league, across the league, there is a discomfort with the lack of transparency on issues that matter. Yeah, it's just, but I don't really, I've never been to an NLBSL game. Um, I've just follow on Twitter and I watch whenever I can. Um, just seeing tweets from players and reading reports about coaches and, and players. It's like, I'm sure they're uncomfortable with a lot of stuff that's happening right now and they really don't have a say and it, and it's just painful to watch as a fan. And also that's someone that, you know, do, uh, talks about it within a, a podcast. Um, it's a well, really bad I will situation. Say that the Black Women's Players Collective and the NWSLPA were involved in the partnership mm-hmm. with Rise. They were included on planning calls. So there, there are definitely players who knew about the, the partnership. It's just there hasn't been any clarification on from the league on why every, you know, every team, every owner, every coach was included in on this partnership or couldn't speak to their feelings on this partnership. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about your article about Diamond to Shields, you know, mm-hmm. the Chicago Sky and uh, the. How did you feel during that seventh loss streak back early in the, the season? Oh my gosh. Well, (laughs) I don't want to compare my experience at all to that of the players and coaches. Like they're actually in it. You know, they're the ones who are fighting day in and day out to get a win. Like I can't, I can't relate to their experience at all, but I will say my experience as a first time beat reporter covering the sky Uh, or first, this was my first year. This is my first year covering the sky as a beat reporter. Um, It was not super fun. Like nobody likes talking after losses and certainly nobody likes talking after their seventh straight loss. So it was challenging to, you know, go into interviews every day and ask like what the problem is, like what needs to change, et cetera, because like clearly they're, they're still, they're figuring out what the problems are, what, what needs to change. And, you know, looking back, they players and, and James coach, James Wade kept stressing, like once the team is healthy, it'll be different. And I think when teams are losing that there's always not excuses that are made, but there's a justification as to why they're losing. So as a reporter, you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like Candace Parker's injured, Allie Quigley's injured, but you have to, you know, why aren't you winning without them? Like it can't just be you win when they're healthy. And if they're not healthy, you lose like, you know, that, that isn't the making that's, that doesn't set up like the makings of a, of a championship team, which was the expectation for this team going into it. So it was, it was not like my funnest work experience, but again, it's, it's not always, it's not about it being fun. You're, you're doing a job. And so I think it was still entertain. I mean, we still got good stories written. It was, you know, you still do your job, but that seven game losing streak was definitely an interesting time to be covering that team. And and nobody was happy. It was a very, it was a very stressed, uh, unhappy environment. But I will say, as as like unhappy as they were with the results, that team never got disconnected from each other. Like the the energy remained tight knit. The support remained there. There was never a time when players or even, or James Wade was pointing fingers or, or seemed disjointed in, in their message about where, what this team was capable of. So I think that was something that kind of, you know, established the fact that they, they were going to do something special. This was going to be a good year. They just needed to figure it out. Mm kind of seems like they did but not 
fully. I know they, they lost their last game before the break, um, but there's high expectations for after the break, obviously, with that starting up again soon, especially with Diamond to Shields. Yeah, I mean, there's just – there's some consistency issues for this team. They they are not, they have not been the most consistent, and they've turned around their defense quite a bit this year, but they have trouble playing a full four quarters, finishing possessions, and that's led to some of these closed losses that we've seen. They've lost – of their 10 losses um, – I just wrote this out um, – Eight of their 10 losses have been by less than 10 points and five of their losses have been by five or fewer points. So when you're looking at that statistic, it's, it's, you know, frustrating because there's a lot of games they should have won. And it came down to little, little let ups where they, they let up on their intensity. They let up on possessions and it leads to, you know, losing by five points or less. And so I think that if they can establish more consistency on defense, which this is a team too, that runs its offense through its defense, they want to, you know, um, they want to get steals. They want to score in transition. They, they're disruptors. So if they can do that, then the second half will, I think, we will see more success from them, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it wasn't the first half that, you know, fans expected or the team even expected Um, injuries obviously played a, played a role in them being 500 at the break, but you know, you can't, you can't ride that excuse into a championship. Yeah, don't count out the sky just yet. I, I know they've had like some disappointing recent like playoff games. Um, I all I can think of is the Hamby Heave. That's oh something that comes into my mind. Um, I had James K on this show a few weeks ago, and we were talking about that, just like reliving that moment of watching that on TV. I was so distraught. I literally. I was so excited in the last few seconds, and then that heave happened, and I just fell to the ground, and I went like this, put my hands in my face, and I was like, oh, my God, they just lost this game because of that. Yeah, and I think if you look at to the, the player, because Courtney Vandersloot turned the ball over, and let, it led to that heave, and so when you think about the caliber of player Courtney is, I mean, she's she's their leader. She's their, she's their stoic. Um, she sets the tone. So I think that made it even more sad or more frustrating because you expect Courtney to lead you to the victory, not be a catalyst for, you know, a heartbreaker like that turned out to be. So, you know, I think that all of those experiences lead a team to, to a better understanding of what it takes to, to get big wins like that, what it takes to win a championship. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. I hate to use such a cliche like that, but it really is true. And especially when it comes to, you know, navigating play the playoffs in, in professional sports, losses aren't losses don't get chalked up as as meaningless like that loss lives it it shaped who this team like transitioned into and continues to transition into and then you add the experience of Candace Parker and now you know Stephanie Dolson who just won a gold medal like all of these experience stew and door fall like all of these women's experience for better or worse is shaping, you know, and, and contributing to whether or whether or not, whether or whether they won't win a championship. It's very well said. Um, I'm excited to see what happens. Hope, you know, they climb up the standings a little bit. I don't expect them to be first 
but that's not something that I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and they don't need to be, I mean, yeah. whether they finish first in the league like that, it, it's not about that. If they're in the playoffs, like the, cha- I, I think this team is very capable of, of making a deep run in the playoffs and they don't need to be number one in the league to do that. They do not. Um, I want to talk about one of your other articles, the story about um, the football player with CTE. That's yeah. something that I I have been learning a little bit more about recently just because I just think it's so interesting that um, people don't understand what's happening with people that play football. And I think my sister, um, she's 15. She a long time ago was like, I want to play football. I, I want to, I want to be out there. I want to have the pads and everything. I was like, it's dangerous. It's something that can have such an awful effect on you. And I, I really enjoyed reading your story. It was great reporting. Can you talk a little bit about that story? Yeah. So CTE is, is kind of still, I mean, it, it is still like this taboo three letters, this taboo, uh, health issue that's affecting, um, athletes. And so this one was, was challenging to report on because there's, it, it, there's a family that lost a loved one to, to this disease. And there's a lot of people that, you know, like this, one of the doctors and, you know, I spoke to said that to want to turn a blind eye to the effects of, of traumatic sports injuries that are higher in, in a sport like football. And so, you know, reporting on a story like that, you, you definitely are, it's a juggling act because you're sharing someone's very vulnerable experience and also sharing facts about this disease and what doctors say about it and trying to bring it all together to, yeah, share someone's story and do it justice. And so, you know, I think what was important about sharing a story like this and and sharing any story that involves CTE and someone who, who dies due to CTE is, is that this was a person and, and they were in pain. Like CTE really changes who a person is and who a family, the loved ones know that person to be. And that's really extremely heartbreaking. You know, mental health is not something that we as a society talk enough about and seeing a loved one go through a mental health struggle is, is just, it's indescribable, the pain that comes out of that. So I think that, you know, when it comes to how we acknowledge CTE, I just think there needs to, I think it's important to have more, again, transparency where I'm going to bring that word back up, but, you know, Kyle's family said that they, they think he would have wanted to play football had he known uh, that this, this was a risk involved. But they know he wouldn't have wanted to play in college. And so I think there needs to be more honesty and more honest and open conversations about CTE and what, what youngsters are signing up for. You know, um, I think that kids will blindly follow the people that they love and, and what they suggest for them, what they think is a good idea, what they want to see them succeed in. And it's on the adults to be more, be more, um, to protect, protect these kids that are playing this sport and other sports like it. And Again, Kyle's family took every precaution. They didn't want him to, to, they didn't let him play until he was older. And it was still something that ended up affecting him. And so I think that sports like this really need to take a hard look at what needs, what needs to continue to change because football, there's already been a lot of changes that have been made 
um, you know, at least at the professional level in the NFL. And, and then obviously in the NCAA too, there's, you know, rules that are implemented, but are we holding these rules accountable, programs accountable, coaches accountable? Um, because this disease is truly, truly heartbreaking. And hearing this, the stories from doctors who are dealing with patients and families that have lost loved ones, it's, it's like slowly losing some, watching someone disappear. So yeah. yeah, it's hard. Transparency and education are super important. I think that should be something taught about in health classes. I never took a health class um, in high school because I went to Catholic school for two years first and uh, then I transferred over to public school. So I never got that beautiful um, public school health education class. But I think that's something that should be taught in PE and health class because it's so, so important to be educated on this type of thing. Yeah, I mean, educated on mental health in general is education on mental health in general is, is lacking. And I think that, you know, CTE is something that's brought on by head trauma. So there, there are things that people can do to prevent it. And the awareness of those things are, is not even, is not even being, people aren't being educated enough on, on what can be done to prevent CTE from, from happening. And there also isn't enough research on, on how CTE is affecting women. Um, of the, I think, um, what was the number of women's brains that they had in this brain bank? It was less than 30 women's brains. I think it was less than 10 women's brains that they had in this brain bank, um, of the hundreds that they have of brains. So it's, it's scary to think also that there isn't even research available on how CTE is affecting women's brains. So that's also something that needs to change, especially for women's soccer players, because obviously, you know, concussions are a large part of the game. So um, the, the challenge is, though, that studies can't be done on a person's brain until they're, you know, until they're no longer here. So there are a number of, of professional women soccer players who have agreed to donate their, their brains after their, they die. So, you know, it's just something that is this elongated process, you know, you, there's, there's not an unlimited number of brains to study. Yeah. That's, that's upsetting that that's the number of brains that they have um, compared to the men's. That's, that's absurd. <laughs> to I say mean, the but least. It's, it's also, it's another reflection of our society as a yeah. whole. Like we're not, we're not even investing in women's sports the way we should. So how are we, how are we going to assume that a brain bank that's spent, you know, X amount of years to collect these brains that any of them are going to be women. I was shocked that any of them were women, you know? Yeah. So it's, um, it's, it's something that again, needs to be talked about so that more people are conscious that this is something that needs to change that, you know, then maybe people will be more inclined to donate their brains after passing. It's, um, it's a very, it's a very interesting and heartbreaking subject. Yeah. Um, to move on to, uh, to end on a lighter note, I should say, uh, I want to ask you what it's like, uh, you know, a day in Annie's life, uh, <laughs> Beat reporter edition. So what do you do day to day? I know you go to games. I know you spend some time writing. Do you have any free time? I think that's also a question. <laughs> I have a lot of free time. I feel okay. like I've, I've come to a place in my life where I understand the importance of work-life balance. Mm -hmm. I think some weeks are are more challenging than other in that regard. Like last week, I know we were, we were trying to have this conversation and, and it was, it was a really, really busy week. Like every day was stacked from top to bottom with interviews and writing and then games. And so that, you know, every, every week is different, but I'll say, um, understanding a work-life balance is really important for me. So I prioritize that. And you know, day to day again is different, but I guess 
a standard day in season with the red stars in the sky, both, you know, in season at the same time will include interviews with players and, and coaches, um, you know, writing a feature or two for our sports Saturday edition, writing breaking news that happens that day, writing, you know, any, any just update story for the day and, and planning, you know, projects that you, you want to work on down the road. So it's really a juggling act and some days are easier than others to juggle. Do you know how to juggle in real life? I don't know how to juggle in real life. And I'm always learning how to juggle in work. So not a good juggler in work and definitely not a good juggler (laughs) in real life either. I was going to say, it'd be pretty impressive if you knew how to juggle in real life and then you juggle work. (laughs) No, I remember, yeah, trying to juggle on various occasions um, because it always seemed like a cool thing to do and never mastered juggling. I don't really care for juggling. I always thought it looked pretty cool. Like I always thought juggling was a skill that was, was impressive to me. I, I guess learning how to juggle work is more important than learning how to actually juggle. (laughs) I think again, the work-life balance is really important. And unfortunately, like the younger you are in your career, the more sacrifice you have to make in that regard. And the older you get, the more you learn how to, you know, say no to things, or you have more of a privilege to say no to things. And um, you just have a better understanding of, of, you know, just what it takes, what it means to be successful. It doesn't always mean like working yourself ragged. Like it doesn't, even if you love your career, like that's not what it means. You know, you have to, I think you find a balance in whatever it is that you do. Well said and a great way to add things. Uh, Where can people follow you on social media? Yeah, I'm just at Annie Costable on Instagram and Twitter. Um, So, you know, my last name is a little confusing to spell. It's, It's not a simple like Smith or Wells or I don't know, Jones or something, but yeah, go to the Sun-Times and, and check out the Chicago Sky, Chicago Red Stars content. And if you're interested in following me, you could just, you know, look up my name there. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram and just, you know, talking shit and trying to get get by. Yeah, I will link down all your socials and um, your profile from the, the Sun-Times where people can read your various amounts of work like I did last night I read a lot of articles last night and was very oh surprised. my god I'm so honored I'm so honored and everyone listening please subscribe to the Sun Times local journalism is so important and I'm yes. not just saying that because I work for the Sun Times <laughs> it just is like it's it's not the same as tuning into CNN or ESPN or you know any of these other national platforms local yeah. news is is important so subscribe subscribe to the sun times is there anything else that you want to shout out no um we've got some great coverage coming up and this weekend sports saturday the sky start their the second half of the season on sunday and and you know you can follow all of the the red stars and sky coverage at the sun times we we you know keep things fresh and and yeah there's a lot there's a lot to follow so just check out the sun times all right, it's time for my little ending spiel. It's uh, I change it from time to time because I refuse to script this show. And if I ever have to script anything, I will throw something at this wall. I'm uh-huh. kidding. <laughs> but I, I don't do well uh, with reading scripts. It's not my uh, it's not my thing. I just yeah, like I think be, be authentic, whatever it takes to be yourself. I think that's what people should do more of. Alrighty, so time for my social medias because there's a lot. Get ready for this, everyone. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook. Same handle. Are you ready? It's at WSM Podcast. Get it? Women's Sports Matter. But only the first letters of the title of the show. Because I am super creative. Anyway, let's move on to Instagram. You can follow me at Women's Sports Matter. I'm trying to start on my YouTube again. I'm kind of struggling with that a little bit. It's a lot of work. And I just don't really have time for it. 
but you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's the Women's Sports Matter podcast. You can get this podcast wherever. I'm serious. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Red Circle. That's a thing that I'm using now instead of Anchor. Bye-bye, Anchor. I'm not an Anchor anymore. So um, to my cousin, Michelle, I'm glad that you caught that because she was struggling to find my show on there. And I was like, I just changed platforms recently. Anyway, I'm all over the place. Huh. You can find where I'm located, uh, all these different podcasting platforms it's in the description. So many different ones to choose from. I want to talk about vaccines. 50% of Americans that are eligible to get vaccinated are vaccinated. That's super cool, but that's not good enough, I don't think. So I'm asking you nicely. You know, if you want to go get vaccinated, there's links down below. Type in your zip code or your address. You will be shown where the nearest vaccination site is to your house. Also, there's a link down below to register to vote if that's something that interests you. For all my California listeners, the recall election is happening in September, I believe. So you should uh, participate in that if you want to. Again, I'm not pushing you to do it, but it's something that I, I'm suggesting that you do. I'm asking nicely. Hey, maybe participate in local stuff that's happening. I got nothing else to say. Subscribe to this show. Subscribe to the Sun-Times. Subscribe to Annie's podcast. Read Annie's work. She does a great job reporting. I love her work. It's super, super cool. Um, I've got nothing else to say. I'm going to go relax now. It's almost school time for me, so I'm, I'm kind of chilling these last few weeks. Um, I really have nothing else to say except go White Sox, go Red Stars, and go Sky. Um, I'm assuming, Annie, you agree with me with those statements? Absolutely. Well, I, I'll, I'm unbiased on the Red Stars and the Sky, so I'm not going to say go Sky, go Red Stars, but I will say go White Sox. So Yeah, go White Sox. Go White Sox. Go White Sox. To all the Cubs fans out there, do you like brooms? Because <laughs> I do. I, I really like brooms because you know you got swept anyway that doesn't matter i'm ending the show here thank you all so much for listening to another episode of the women's sports matter podcast i'm your host yonabel castro i will see you next week with another interview because i just keep the ball rolling and i'm talking to so many different people that's right another interview with a football player what a female football player yeah that's right that's all i'm gonna spoil but i will see y'all next time that's all folks Bye bye